Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk, Sarah Abbott. He's joining us from the heartland of Nebraska. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. And Taylor, today we're going to talk about the greatest lineup in the history of baseball. For you, what would that be? Mm, that would have to be uh, probably like the 96 Orioles, you know? What? <laughs> or, well, you or, realize, or... of course, that I covered that team, right? Yeah, so that doesn't work for you. So what about the 20? 20- yeah, that, that's, not a, that's not even close. Okay, what are you okay. talking about? Let's, How about the 95 ha- Cleveland Indians? How about the 98 with- Yankees? How about the 36 Yankees, the 31 Yankees? What do you think? Or the 2022 Dodgers. How about that? Huh? Well, we actually have a guest coming on today who believes that that's possible. I've got a strong opinion about that uh, coming up here. Sarah, do you have any uh, instincts as to who you think is the greatest lineup ever? Honestly, the 2022 Dodgers. Yes. We got some uh, conversations to have today. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. All right. News and notes for today. Yesterday, Carlos Correa hit his first home run in a game in a Twins uniform. thing is, there's a lot of depth in that bullpen, and luckily some guys will, should step up here. There's a high fly ball toward the right, a left field corner. This is trouble, and it is gone. Correa gets his former teammate. Maybe he had an idea what was coming. So people around baseball that I speak to every day working in front offices are just cringing, waiting for the wave of injuries to come, which they believe will be exacerbated by the fact that we've had this truncated spring training. And who knows if this is an example of that. But yesterday, the Yankees announced that Luis Severino is dealing with body soreness. Uh, His start that was scheduled for today has been moved back to Saturday. He's going to throw a bullpen session today. This is obviously right in the soft spot of the Yankees lineup in their rotation. It's a big concern. The Giants third baseman, Evan Longoria, set to have finger surgery. That uh, was set to happen yesterday. It's unknown yet how long he's going to be out. Wander Franco made a really nice play yesterday in the Rays game. Ball chopped over the mound toward the middle. Handled by Franco, and the jump throw is perfect, two down. Just a beautiful play. Franco ranging to his right, being able to get up the middle and doing the beautiful jump throw. Just the athleticism is always on display with this guy. He wasn't the only guy making plays yesterday. How about Freddie Freeman for the Dodgers? The fastball, especially for getting hit. That one gets hit on the ground right side. Off the glove of Freeman. He collects it, throws to first. In time to Gonsolin for the out. That was Tim Neverett on the Dodgers television network. The Twins signed right-hander Chris Archer to a one-year deal for $3.5 million. Taylor, what did you think of the Washington Nationals with the Cherry Blossom-themed uniform? Ooh, I love them. And the Washington Wizards released theirs at the same time. It was kind of a little bit of a collaboration there. But I preferred the Nationals uniform, got to say. Hurts me. And we're going to talk about this later in the week when we have Todd Radom coming on. He, of course, knows far more about uniforms than any of us do. Uh, And I'm sure he's got a strong opinion about that. Trevor Bauer, uh, who is on administrative leave right now, filed a defamation lawsuit against The Athletic and one of its former writers. The Pirates yesterday optioned top prospect O'Neill Cruz to AAA in what they referred to as a development decision. 
We're going to talk about that. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I'm going to give you the full sell for Bald Men on Campus's Final Four preview, which is out now, wherever you can listen to your podcasts. Jay Billis, he told a great story on the pod. He was talking about when he was a graduate assistant for the 91 Duke team, and that was the last time that Duke and North Carolina were in position to play each other, and I think it would have been in the title game. And he describes when they found out in the locker room before they were going to go out and play UNLV that Kansas had beat North Carolina, and Mike Krzyzewski comes in and tries to command the room, and it, it, it's a good story. I, I kind of ruined it there, but he tells it way better. <laughs> he was there, obviously, so uh, and he had a ton of other good insight on the rivalry and the stakes, and it, it was just really good conversation. So check out Bald Men on Campus wherever you listen to your podcasts. And one last thing here, uh, baseball is back, and you know what that means. Fantasy baseball is back to opening day is around the corner, and that means it's time for you to draft your team. ESPN has all the news and analysis to help you win your league, and you can play all season long on the ESPN fantasy app. That's a great app. I use it all the time. Sign up now at ESPN.com slash fantasy baseball. Yeah, my son, Jake, he drafted a team the other day and I, I uh, counseled him on a trade that we'll also be <laughs> nice. talking about coming up. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show, mate! Welcome to the show! Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby! You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, who covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. This would have been, you know, the uh, initial opening day, March 30th. And I just would like to point out I'm walking my dogs yesterday here in Connecticut. Wind chill of 10 degrees. The Red Sox were supposed to open at home today against the Tampa Bay Rays. So that would have been one cold game at Fenway. So maybe it's okay that the season's starting April 7th. Yeah, I think if Chris Sale, uh, of course, is a product of uh, Florida, 
Uh, if Chris Sale heard about the lower temperatures, he probably would have had another stress fracture of a rib. <laughs> <laughs> like that is not baseball weather. So, you know, maybe in the end, this uh, this little delay we're going to have at the start of the season might actually make for, for better conditions. Uh, one guy who's not going to be on a major league field on opening day uh, is O'Neill Cruz, who we found out yesterday when the Pirates sent the minor leagues that he is going down for more quote unquote seasoning. <laughs> uh, and look, you know, I, I I know the Pirates people who work in that organization and, and uh, I'm sure they're earnest. But this, to me, is a classic case. Uh, not necessarily. I don't think it's as egregious as, you know, service time manipulation like we saw with Chris Bryant. But I do think it underscores the fact that we did not have a change, substantive change in either service time manipulation or tanking. Because I think probably from the Pirates' perspective, their feeling um, is that under the current system, from their perspective, they need to maximize the return of the top prospects that they have uh, when they're actually within their organization. And because the Pirates are not close to competing, that you know means keeping a guy like, like uh, O'Neill Cruz down in the minor leagues, much as the Tampa Bay Rays have with so many of their pitchers and it just kind of drives me nuts. What was your reaction? Yeah, I think so. You know, I I don't really want to defend the Pirates here, but we should point out O'Neill Cruz has only six games above Double A, um, so there is uh, some justification for sending him back down. On the other hand, is he their best shortstop? Yes. Is he one of their best twenty six players? Of course, he is. You know, he should be on the major league roster. I think he's ready, um, but certainly not a surprise. Yeah, to your point, you know, there is some incentive in theory with the new CBA to keep these potential star players on opening day rosters. You can get rewarded with draft picks if they fare well in awards voting. And But it's a, it's a very small incentive, and I'm with you. The real small market teams like the Pirates and the Rays, the A's, they're not going to change the way they operate because you want that extra year of service time. Yeah. And and do you really or do I really think that there are people in front offices who are going to be sitting there going, well, you know what? You know, O'Neill <laughs> Cruz, uh, you know what? Let's let's keep him in the big leagues because those baseball writers might give him the rookie of the year. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's do that. That to me. There's as much chance of that is is a front office spending its all of its money on lottery tickets. Yeah, it's not it's not enough. I'm with you. I, I think the one good thing about the new CBA is the draft lottery, which if you lose year after year after year, you don't get rewarded. You can't have a top six pick more than two years in a row or one year in a row if you're a big market team. So, like I wrote down the the Tigers, the last four drafts they've picked one first fifth, first, and third. That's not going to happen in the new CBA. So at least these teams that are tanking year after year won't be rewarded to the same degree with high draft picks. I think you framed the the question of whether or not O'Neill Cruz should be in the big leagues uh, perfectly in this regard. The question of whether or not he's one of the 26 best players in the organization. Is he the best shortstop? And I really hope that between now and the next labor agreement, and it, you know, I, I apologize because we just got the most recent one. I really hope that you get uh, people on both sides of the aisle who, who come together, owners, uh, leadership of the player association, saying, "Look, we need to fix this. 
Because this really stinks yep. that if you're a prospect in the Pirates organization, you probably or the Rays organization or, or one of these teams that tanks, you probably have less of a chance to be promoted in the big leagues when you're actually ready versus let's say you're you know drafted by a team that promotes players based on that concept you mentioned that <laughs> philosophy you mentioned that is he one of the 26 best players and we'll get to one of those in a second that's what needs to happen in baseball yeah. yes yeah and again i don't know how you work around that if you change the you know the service time which the owners were steadfast obviously against changing if it's five and a half years or five years it's going to be the same thing just with a shorter span but I, I just feel bad if, if you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates okay you got Brian Reynolds and Cabrian Hayes and that's about it and then you have oh Neil Cruz to get excited about and now he's going to be in AAA and maybe it's only two weeks but maybe it's two months we'll find out but now you're just even a little more discouraged. You have yet another reason not to watch your team, and that's bad for the sport. Oh, and by the way, from the player's perspective, it's another reason why you don't want to get drafted by one of these teams. Yeah. Like if you're a, you know, you're a college junior and you're thinking, okay, get to the big leagues, I'm going to be promoted. Nope, sorry, I got drafted by a team that's going to hold me down the minor leagues as long as possible. Uh, to maximize my return when I come up, which, uh, you know, reduces my chances for making a living in baseball, that really stinks. Yeah. Like that, that's awful. And here's my solution has always been start the service time clock from the moment that someone joins an organization, which yep. would actually incentivize uh, a team like the Pirates to get a top prospect to the big leagues. Yeah. And that used to be the way teams operated. You wanted to get your best players up as fast as possible. And I realize the game is hard now. There's more talent, but you want to get your best players to the major leagues. That should be the goal. Not, Oh, service time seven years down the road when the GM making that decision probably won't even be the GM in seven years. That's exactly right. Uh, speaking of one of those organizations that does promote their best players, the big leagues, when they've earned that right, the Kansas city Royals, have the guy who I think should be the slam dunk selection to be the American League Rookie of the Year, and that is Bobby Witt Jr., who, you know, I was talking to an evaluator this week who mentioned that, you know, Witt reminds him at a young age of a, a young Chipper Jones in terms of the full range of talents, uh, you know, the, the hit capability, the power, uh, you know, the, the defensive potential, and Bobby Witt is a plus uh, base runner, uh, you know, besides having plus speed, He's a plus-plus base runner. I think he's going to have impact right away. In fact, I, I kind of think he's an X-factor in that American League Central race. Are you buying Bobby Witt? <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, I love the chipper comparison. I'd argue that Bobby Witt Jr. is probably even a little more athletic. You know, you mentioned the speed. You know, on probably any other team, he's a shortstop. The Royals have some pretty good defensive shortstops, so he's going to play third base. But the power, the athleticism – you know, we got to see about the hit tool. He did strike out a lot in the minors, but he's been tearing it up in spring training. Yeah, to me, the rookie of the year candidates, he's one. I put Riley Green of the Tigers in my book as a strong number two. But yeah, Bobby Witt Jr., he's got it all. And let's hope he's on that opening day roster. And I like the fact that when we talk about the Royals, because in the past, they've had conversations with Dayton Moore, heads up their baseball operations, uh, about the, the, uh, the concept of tanking. He hates it. 
<laughs> like he he's outspoken about it, how he feels like it's absolutely the opposite of, of what, uh, you know, professional sports is supposed to represent that you're supposed to compete. Yeah. And he hates when teams just lay down. And if you remember, you know, when Eric Cosmer, when Mike Moustakis were rookies, there wasn't any conversation about whether or not they were going to be held down in the minor leagues just to yep. get past a particular date. Dayton's feeling was he had an obligation to uh, promote those players when they earn that right. And you wish the teams evaluated it this way. Again, I get it why they don't under the current system, but for the sake of the sport, let's get to a point where they actually do that, you know? Right. And there's two things here. You got to separate teams that are rebuilding and have young players and they might not be very good. And the Royals, they went through that in the pre-World Series years. And they went through that again in, you know, 2018, 2019. But they weren't trying to be bad. They were just playing young players. But I don't what I don't ever understand, Buster, is it's okay to me if you're O'Neill Cruz to be in the major leagues and maybe you struggle, but you're learning. Aren't you learning more facing major league pitching than triple A pitching or double A pitching? It's okay if you're not a superstar right off the bat, but that mindset's different than I think the way we think about these things or used to think about these things. Taylor, I'm going to bring you in here because the other day we saw D.L. Hall pitch for the Orioles uh, hitting triple digits, left-hander blowing hitters away. And then we got word right after that appearance that he got sent to the minor leagues. And, and, And again, if the question is, is he one of the best pitchers in the organization? I don't think there's any doubt. Absolutely, yes, he is. Buster, I trust Michael Elias with my life. And if he says he's not one of the best 14 pitchers <laughs> on the roster, he's got to spend some more time in the minors, then dang it, he's right. He's not one of the best 14 pitchers. 100 miles an hour be damned. <laughs> and all the strikeouts and the ability to get hitters out. Don't care. Forget all that. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, the other day you had an article where you gave offseason uh, or grades for offseason work, uh, which – a little bit tricky this year because, of course, we had the lockout and then you have this flurry of activity in, in recent weeks after they settled the CBA. Some of the grades really jumped out at me. One, uh, we'll start with the Atlanta Braves, uh, who I think, uh, you know, underneath the conversation about Freddie Freeman and whether or not he returned and why, you know, they pivoted the way they did. They had a tremendous offseason. Yeah, you know, and I get it. You know, they were the way they handled the Freeman negotiations. Maybe you can describe that as being cold hearted, um, but they stuck to their numbers. They didn't deviate. You can almost give them a little pat on the back for that. But most importantly, Alex Anthopoulos pivoted quickly coming out of the lockout, trading for Matt Olson, who, you know, had more war than Freddie Freeman last year. He's younger. And then signed him to that, what, eight-year extension, you know, that really sets the Braves up for a long time. They have that foundation now of Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley still on their team control for several more years. They're going to be good for at least at the minimum for the next five or six years just with those four players. Um so that was a great move. And then they added, you know, Kenley Jansen had a comeback year last year. Colin McHugh was arguably the best reliever in baseball, 1.08 or something ERA. Added him, that bullpen is deep. So, yeah, I think the Braves, even though they lose Freddie Freeman, I give them an A. 
What grade did you give the New York Yankees who've been such a topic of conversation among their <laughs> fan base? Uh, I gave them a D plus. Maybe that was a little harsh. Um, <laughs> look, no doubt they had to move on from Gary Sanchez. You know, I think everybody agrees with that. Their infield defense with Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner Falefa, no doubt it's going to be better. But you're the New York Yankees. This is one of the best free agent classes we've seen in years. And what was their big move? They signed Tim LaCastro. Okay, they signed Anthony Rizzo, an old first baseman who's not who's still good, but not what he used to be. I just think the Yankees have won for the last 25 years by spending money and signing free agents. That's how the Yankees win. Yeah, they're still going to have one of the highest payrolls in the game, but I can't believe they didn't sign a, a superstar free agent when they had the opportunity. See, I would not have given them a D plus. I, I think the defensive upgrades uh, are going to have more impact uh, than than maybe you think they're going to have. Yeah. Uh, than a lot of people think they're going to have. I think it's going to help their pitching. I think the run prevention uh, difference could be significant when you're talking about upgrades. A catcher, uh, according to metrics, Josh Donaldson still a good third baseman, maybe even better than uh, Gio Urshela. I think uh, Kiner Falefa is going to be a better shortstop. I think Labor Torres at second base, you know, for a full season versus playing shortstop for five and a half months last year. And Rizzo, uh, am I crazy in thinking that, you know what, this actually might work out? Yeah, no, look, he's built for that stadium. He's a pull hitter. You know, he's a good defensive first baseman, so he helps there as well. I think one of my concerns, too, in bringing in Donaldson, who granted he was pretty healthy last year and still very productive, but your core players now on offense, Josh Donaldson, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, these guys are all 30-something guys. Aaron Judge is 30 now with – you know, injury histories. What are the odds that all these guys, Aaron Hicks in center field, you know, what are the odds that all these guys stay healthy? I would have, I just, to me, when Carlos Correa, 27 year old is out there, he, he was the perfect fit for that. Team. I know they got the prospects, but I think they needed Carlos Correa to have a young superstar foundation kind of player. Yeah, and at the very least, I think it's a legitimate question uh, why the Yankees, rather than the Twins, weren't the team that did that, you know, short-term opt-out yeah. deal with uh, with Correa. I think the Yankees would say that uh, that was not necessarily an option that was on the table as they were uh, making decisions about where, what to do. Um, the Angels, it feels like every winter we have the exact same conversation. The Angels are in the market for pitching. How did they do? <laughs> Yeah, I forget what I gave them, what, a C-plus, I think. Um, look, Noah Syndergaard, he could be great. We'll see. He's got a pitch, right? He's hardly pitched the last three years. Um, you know, they added to the bullpen a lot of arms down there. Aaron Loop had a great year last year. They re-signed uh, Rysel Iglesias, who's one of the better closers in the game. Um, the only big concern, they didn't really upgrade at shortstop, um, it looks like they might go David Fletcher and Matt Duffy in some combo up the middle. Um, I don't know how that's going to work out. Not a lot of power from those two guys. Um, look, for the Angels, we all know, ultimately, Mike Trout's got to stay healthy. Anthony Rendon's got to stay healthy. If that happens, they could be back in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, a solid offseason. I would have liked a shortstop when they had the opportunity. One set of grades that you gave out really jumped out at me. I imagined you holding your nose as you wrote the capsules for the 
National League Central teams. You know, yesterday, <laughs> I was on uh, Bernie Miklas's show, and we were talking about the Cardinals and how they look within the division. And, and I said, look, you know, as we see here today, we don't know what Jack Flaherty is going to bring. And yet the Cardinals may well turn out to be the best team in that division because nobody really did that much of anything. No, in the Cardinals, and I get it. If you go through their roster, they had no glaring holes. Now, the, every team can always use more pitching depth. You know, they signed Steven Matz. Who, you know, he's kind of a number three, number four starter. That was their big move, you know, and I get it. Tommy Edmond wasn't great last year, but they have Nolan Gorman, their top prospect. So no glaring holes, but is that an excuse not to make a move? Their payroll is way below where it was last year, so they had money to spend. Um, so I was a little surprised they didn't, you know, bring in, especially a starting another starting pitcher. The team that kind of confused me, Buster, I don't know if you agree, is the Cubs. They kind of went halfway. They they claim Wade Miley on waivers. They signed Seiya Suzuki, who I really think is going to be a really good player. Um, and they signed, who was the other starting pitcher they signed? Um, Marcus oh, Stroman. Marcus Stroman. Yeah, you know, and they but then okay, they added Andrelton Simmons. He had a 598 OPS. They need offense. He's not gonna help there. Then they had a bunch of other small parts. So they went like halfway, but if you're signing Miley and Strowman to short-term deals, you're trying to win now, but this doesn't look like a win now roster. So I don't get signing those guys and not doing more when again they have a lot of money to spend compared to what they've spent in the past. I think what they did was uh, very similar to last year where I think they're prepared to pivot a midseason and to sell off parts. Yeah. Like Wade Miley, if he has a good first half, could be someone who would be really attractive to other teams. Uh, you wonder about Kyle Hendricks in that boat uh, where he is on his contract and that they can focus on building. The fact is, is that their payroll is so much lower. This is a year in which the Cubs are going to make a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they got to save some more money to pour into their real estate investments around Wrigley. But yeah, I'm with you. Miley's on a one-year deal. You know, Stroman's a three-year deal. I don't know if he's a trade candidate. Probably not. You know, they're looking to use him for 23 and 24. But yeah, and you know, in their farm system, it's still developing. Most of their top prospects are in the, you know, lower minors. So I'm with you. It's another pivot year. But that central, to your point, is so bad I think if they had made a couple more moves, you know, they'd have a shot at, you know, catching the Brewers or the Cardinals, maybe not, but the wild card now, sure, that could have been in the game. We'll see uh, as the year goes along, if then some opportunity pops up for a team like the Brewers or the Cubs, uh, you know, uh, in terms of buying at the trade deadline, because it does feel like a division as good as the Cardinals might be, it might be completely wide open. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. Always good to talk with you. All right, you bet, Buster. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Himbo, of course, tonight. is Paul Ambikidi. He's a researcher for ESPN. who's a honcho on the show, Get Up, and he is an absolute baseball nerd. Uh, as we get ready for today's show, Hembo, you sent me a list of possible topics, and it feels like you're on the bandwagon based on your note. Do you think this Dodgers lineup will be historically good? Please explain yourself. Yeah, Buster, earlier this week on the podcast, I heard you, I think you were, you were talking to Tim or Ravi or, and someone else. And what you said was, in effect, you know, you're replacing, you know, Corey Seager with Freddie Freeman. So ultimately, it's sort of a wash. But I would disagree because not only do you have Trey Turner for a full season, what I think you now have is the best one, two, three punch, at least in modern baseball history. And here's what I come, came up with to sort of quantify it. So the collective slash line for those three players since 2018, Buster, is 303, 385, 525. That's a 300, a 300 batting average and a 900 OPS that the Dodgers likely will get from the top three hitters, the top third of their order. So I looked for some context. And over the last 40 years, only three lineups have had the top third of their order meet both of those minimums. The 2017 Rockies did it. The 1997 Rockies did it. And the 1996 Mariners did it. That Mariners team had A-Rod as its two-hitter and Griffey as its three-hitter. And parenthetically, I think the ability for all three of those guys to hit for such a high average is going to provide the Dodgers a huge market um, inefficiency because all three of those guys, I think, you could argue, uh, are positioned to hit 300 to probably combine for something close to 500 hits. There just aren't lineups in baseball these days that can provide that kind of clout, that kind of bat-to-ball atop the order. That's why I think this Dodgers lineup is going to take a big step from last year to this year. Okay, I'm going to poke holes in that in just a second. Uh, but I, I just <laughs> want to ask, are you, are you on the uh, – are you uh, co-signing uh, what's being said about the Dodger lineup perhaps being the greatest ever? Because I'm sorry, top to bottom, I look at that lineup and I say, that's not as good as the 95 Indians. You know, that unbelievable lineup they had. That's not as good as the 98 Yankees, the team I covered. It's not as good as the, you know, the 1939 Yankees who had the greatest run differential in the history of the sport. I I think it's a really excellent lineup, but, and I want to make clear, I I think there's a chance that this team could win the World Series, but I don't see it being in that conversation. I think I agree with that on balance, which is to say, the Dodgers aren't going to approach a thousand runs like those Indians teams did, like those Yankees teams did. But I think in relation to the rest of the league, we will see them be as good as those teams. In other words, I think the Dodgers, in relation to say that the average lineup this year, 
will be just as good as, say, the 96 Indians or the 98 Yankees, because, again, the clout at the top of their order is unprecedented. See, here's where I think you and others are wrong about the Dodgers. I think everyone's assuming that you're going to get high-end performance from, from all these guys when there's some evidence that you might not get that. Last year, Mookie Betts at 264. He had a 367 on base percentage. Really, you know, nice numbers, but I think you'd agree with me. It's not like those are otherworldly. Cody Bellinger could be, again, a, a complete wash offensively. So far this spring, and, and you and I always, you know, have this conversation about spring training stats and whether they mean anything. Hembo, this is under the category, I believe, in spring training stats that mean something. So far, he is three for 24 with 17 strikeouts. That is a major red flag for me. You also have Justin Turner at an older age. I think he's an excellent hitter still, but I think there's a decent chance he's going to get hurt. A.J. Pollock was terrific last year. He's also older. If he had some injury issues, that wouldn't surprise me. I think for all those reasons, the numbers are not going to be as gaudy as what people think. The, The Bellinger point is the one that I think is the strongest. If Cody Bellinger is Cody Bellinger again, the lineup's going to be great. If Cody Bellinger is the player we saw last year, the lineup can't be great. It just can't. Uh, I I agree with you on that. And I'm with you. Spring training numbers in this context for this player are most definitely concerning because, as you like to put it, this is a a pattern of behavior. He's now far enough removed from being a great player that you start to wonder if, if that player was the aberration and something more approximating this player is who Cody Bellinger is now. We know how Dave Roberts feels about the Dodgers. He was on the Dan Patrick show the other day making predictions. What do you win the World Series this year? Put it on record. You are winning the World Series. We are winning the World Series. That's our focus. That's our goal. But to your question, we are winning the World Series if our starting staff stays healthy. All right, so that's how Dave Roberts feels. I, I have a copy, Hembo, of your predictions that you turned into ESPN.com. You've got a really interesting team. I, I suspect that when these are published, you'll be the only person to have picked the Chicago White Sox to win the World Series. Please explain yourself. I think the White Sox are stacked. So, first of all, I am 100% certain that the White Sox are going to win their division. And obviously, when I'm picking a World Series champion – that's a big part of it. I, I want a very clear path to a division title. And for my money, they're likelier to win their division than any other team in baseball, maybe aside from the Astros. This is a lineup last year that was outstanding, despite having suffered through a number of injuries. It's a pitching staff that I view as having a top five rotation in the American League and potentially a lights out, dominant, filthy back end of the bullpen, which will play up in the postseason. And so I'm not certain they're going to have the best record in the American League during the regular season, but the collection of young hitters that they have with the quality of arms and the depth of the bullpen, to me, is the right mix for postseason baseball. And that's why I had the White Sox as my World Series champion. So your American League playoff picks, I think you would agree with me, are going to be very similar to what a lot of other people pick. But in the American League, uh, you had a really interesting wild card pick, and there's a chance you might be the only one out on this limb, and that is for the Detroit Tigers. What's up with that? Yeah, let me explain myself here as you continue to, to, to rake me over the coal. So, first of all, I think the Yankees are probably a better team than the Tigers. I have the Yankees out of the playoffs, but I, I feel like it's easy for teams within a division that good to sort of cannibalize themselves. So if the Tigers do take a step forward like I expect and the Yankees take a step back like I expect, 
That's sort of my tiebreaker. Well, look, if you exclude what the Tigers did last April, which were they were the worst team in baseball, this team was above 500 for the rest of the season. And every month, they improved throughout the season more so than any team in baseball. They are stacked with Riley Green coming up, with Spencer Torkelson coming up. They have great young arms in Casey Mize, Tariq Skeeball, and Matt Manning. I view the trajectory of that program as being um, on, on such a curve that it could happen for them as soon as this year. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is going to get down ballot Cy Young votes. And despite the fact that I don't like the contract, Javi Baez can still play and help them win right now. They have an excellent manager with a sixth playoff team this year. I think the Detroit Tigers sneak in and a team like the Yankees are left out. I was texting last week back and forth with A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Tigers, about the improvement on defense, which I think is one of the most significant uh, improvements for any team in the majors but you're out of your mind. There's no chance to make the playoffs. So we'll we'll uh, you know we'll we'll see how that goes. That but that that one really jumped out of me. All right, uh, you've got three players you believe uh, could be breakout candidates this year. Please explain. I do, Buster. My first is Jared Kelnick. Look, he was miserable last season. There's no way around it. He hit 181. There was a 21 game stretch in which he went four for 81. He he was dreadful. However. He did adjust. As the season ended, he, he, he generated an OPS of 902 over his last 25 games. He was one of their most reliable hitters in September. And look, you and I both know from following this player since the time he was traded for the Mets, his minor league track record is, is practically beyond reproach. In 203 games, he had 50 doubles, 38 homers, and 41 stolen bases. And some, some of his underlying stat cast numbers for last year were a lot better than I might have thought considering his outcomes. This is a player with a 30-30 season in his near future, and I'm going to say it happens for him as soon as this year. What say you? Uh, I The name that comes to mind uh, that uh, when we talk about his trajectory is Austin Riley. Mm. Uh, remember we were talking last spring about how this was a pivotal year for Austin Riley, uh, and you know what? He got better because that's what players do. They make adjustments and they get better. So I, I think that's reasonable. My next player, Buster, is Nick Madrigal, the second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Look, you know me. From a team-building standpoint, I hate redundancy. And Madrigal is the least redundant player in baseball. His ability to get back to ball, his hand-eye coordination is in the 100th percentile. So over the last two seasons, there are 386 hitters that have batted at least 250 times. Among that group, his strikeout rate and his swing and miss rate is the lowest. And those are his first two seasons in the majors, Buster. And keep in mind, this is a durable, repeatable skill. We have 441 games of data in his college and pro career. And in those 441 games, he has struck out 89 times. It's unprecedented in today's game. A 317 hitter in the big league, a 328 hitter in the minors, a 361 hitter in college. And at the time of his injury last season, ranked sixth in the American League in hitting. You want a long shot to win the National League batting title? I'm giving you Nick Madrigal. What say you? I think winning a batting title is possible because he puts the ball in play so often. His batting average and balls in play is over 300. Last year, his ground ball to fly ball rate, 3.03, which, as you know, in this era, he's extraordinarily high. Okay, who's your third? My last is a pitcher, and it's Tanner Houck. Right now, Tanner Houck is slated Love it. to be the Red Sox number three starter. Now, look, the results last year weren't pretty. He won one game across – games, 13 starts. But if you dig deeper, there's a really, really nice profile here, Buster. And that's because he's so hard to square up. I was stunned by this. The last year you invented a stat called crush quotient in which we measure the number of total bases a pitcher allows per swing. 
His figure last year was the exact same as Max Scherzer. If you look at the way, how much damage the league does on pitches he throws within the strike zone, a 374 slug last year, that was the same as Zach Wheeler. In total, he allowed only four homers in 69 innings, which was the fifth lowest mark among 190 pitchers that started at least 10 games. My prediction, if there's, if there's a way to make one here, that by the end of the season, Nathan Eovaldi is, is 1A for the Red Sox heading into the playoffs, but how could 1B? What say you? I agree with you. I saw him uh, last year when was so impressed by his stuff. Uh, and this year, he's going to be an important part of that team. And it's part of the reason why when I turn to my playoff picks, I've got four teams making it from the American League East. Uh, I think they're that good. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up is our pal Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. Mitchell writes in, how concerning is Luis Severino's arm soreness? Would losing him for a large portion of the season drop the Yankees to number three in the AL East? Mitchell, number three, number four, uh, it's it's their big concern. And remember, it's a high bar in the American League East because the Blue Jays with that lineup. Uh, we've talked about the Red Sox now that they have Trevor's story. The Tampa Bay Rays seem to find a way every year to win 90 games plus. Uh, yeah, I, I that that is absolutely the Achilles heel of the Yankees team. T. Jones at TNJ629. He sent a bunch of questions, and I pulled this one out. Buster, did Clayton Kershaw take a one-year deal from the Dodgers because that's all they would offer, and he just won't play anywhere else? Seems to me he should have gotten more money and more years. I think what's going on, and, and in fairness to Clayton, you know, I've not been in Dodger camp this spring. I've not asked him this, but I've talked to a lot of people who know him, and we're at the stage in Clayton's career where he's taking a year-to-year, Right. He's going home in the wintertime. He's playing catch. He's seeing how he's feeling. Uh, and, and when he decides what he wants to do, then the Dodgers will work out a deal. But I think I, I, if he, from this point forward in his career, signed nothing but one-year contracts, that wouldn't surprise me. Jackson at Summer of Jack writes in, Buster, after the flurry of moves we've seen teams make over the last few years, has there been any buzz about Major League Baseball setting any offseason deadlines around when teams can make transactions? Sure, there's conversation about it, but that would require an agreement between the Player Association and Major League Baseball. Uh, and there would be great suspicion among the Players Association uh, folks that Major League Baseball would use a deadline like that to rush players into bad contracts. So there's no chance it's going to happen. Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats writes in Buster is 2022 the make or break year for Cody Bellinger. His career path thus far is very similar to Chris Bryant's. Uh, I think it's a fair point. Let's face it. Um, you know, there if if Cody Bellinger has another year this year like he had last year, I think he's going to be looked at differently as a player. Now, people believe in his athleticism. So let's say the Dodgers, after you know, giving him a, a really good contract this year, I think it was $17 million for arbitration. They're betting on his athleticism and his ability to make adjustments. If they were to cut ties with him after this year and move on, you know that there would be a line of teams just backed up saying, you know what? We'll take a shot at it. <laughs> we'll try to fix him because he's that phenomenal of a player. But when you're striking out that much and you're making that many outs, uh, and I suspect this year will be the year that he'll get a lot of negative feedback from uh, in, in Dodger Stadium, then, yeah, it. Uh, I think it's going to change, change the trajectory of how he's perceived. 
Trevor Dunning at Montana met with the uh, good timing here. He sent a link to a tweet from Sarah Langs on Juan Soto's swing rate, chase rate, and swings producing hard contact. He asks, wasn't this the idea behind Buster's crush quotient last year? Any thoughts on this? Hembo just mentioned it. Yep, 100%. It's about the efficiency of the swing and getting hard contact, and that's where Juan Soto really separates himself. Last one for today, Oren Sleepwalker at Oren83 rates in. Do you think the almost certain failure awaiting the Padres might deter non-major market teams from going all in in the future? No, I don't think so. I think the Padres uh, are an outlier because their owner, Peter Seidler, is one of two owners in baseball who doesn't seem to care how much money he spends. He just wants to build a winner. The other, of course, is Steve Cohen of the Mets. So if this year's a disaster for the Padres, and I got to say there are a lot of signs it's not going to be great. Uh, you know, I think Peter Seidler would still try to build a winner, much in the same way that Mike Illich did with the Tigers. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we will be back on Friday. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Dave, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.